morning. This is Mark Allen Harmon. And William Clark Jr. And this is What You Wearing, where we bring fashion to you. Ooh. Ah. Now, can you imagine that we can actually bring fashion to people through a podcast? How do you even think that's possible, William? It's absolutely possible. We just want to shake off the intimidation and fear of fashion and style. It's not as scary as you think. <laughs> it's not? Are you sure? No. I mean, there's some scary stuff walking around with Deo Drive. This is true. This is why we're here. <laughs> we're here to save lives. We are here to save lives. <laughs> and marriages. And, and marriages. I mean, relationships of all kinds is why we're here. So, uh, William and I have known each other for ages, and we have two really different points of view about fashion. Um, I don't even know that we could both summarize what our points of view are. Uh, but one of the things we were thinking about was why would we even do a podcast? Uh, and one of the things I found was I wanted to bring, be able to bring my voice. So I really think that fashion and style is like an opportunity to express yourselves through clothes. Absolutely. Right? So like Absolutely. when you, when I work with my clients, I've been doing personal shopping for 25 years and I work with my people. Yes, we make some great looks and yes, they feel beautiful and yes, all that. But the key is when I can bring elements to people to help them express themselves through design and clothing, like knowing what's out there, knowing what's available, knowing what are the appropriate choices for themselves and walking them through that process is super inspiring for me. And it's really why I do what I do. So I thought, oh, this would be really something fun to bring into this new world here too. Absolutely. I mean, so that's kind of why I think I'm doing this. What, what, what about you? Um, the same, the same, you know, um, again, taking away the intimidation of fashion and also like you educating ourselves of our clients and where they're comfortable, what they're not comfortable with and what their vision is so that they don't feel like a look that we might choose for them is something that's not them. So, right. And then also the, the experience that we have had with our clients, we can bring, to people all over from whatever's going on in your life. Absolutely. So, I mean, I know that when I'm shopping and I'm not with a client and there's some confused, lost lady there, I am happy to voice my opinion. Wanted or not wanted. <laughs> Absolutely. But I think there's always, bottom line, women always love the, the opinion of a man. So, of course, it's like someone in distress. You see someone drowning you want to help them out. But we're going to include the boys in all this too, right? So we're going to take, care of, our, we're going to take care of our men too, not Absolutely. just our women. So the conversation is going to be about fashion and style and about self-expression, but really for men, for women, for children, for your pets, for your loved ones, for your hated ones. <laughs> right? There are some of those, yes. How do you call that? Would you call that a hated one or your enemies? Oh, your enemies. Frenemies. Your frenemies. You're so politically correct. So I thought we'd start by telling the world a little bit about who we are. So um, I have been doing personal shopping and wardrobe style for 25 years. I was pre-med. Uh, yes, ah. I can see your facial like pre-med. Could you imagine? Paige and Dr. Harmon. That's why you're good with alteration. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like, first of all, girl, no wonder you're sick. Look at that dress you're wearing. No, so I decided, no, that wasn't for me. But I always wanted to help people. So I think that's kind of how I got into that world. And then I started uh, designing clothes. And I got my financial aid money. 
and I bought fabric and hired a seamstress and designed a couple pieces. Nice. And I went to Neiman Marcus in Beverly Hills back when Couture was Couture there. Yes. And I approached the manager of Couture. I think I was 19, maybe 20. And I said, I really, really am going to be a famous fashion designer one day. Oh. And I need to be found. Ooh. <laughs> he was like, what? <laughs> and so he agreed. And so I uh, put together some looks to show him. And he loved the looks, actually. And he told me that I needed to have more like 30 looks and that he would do me a trunk show, which was crazy. Nice. Right? Oh, yeah. Like a trunk show when I couldn't even afford to have champagne in my own trunk show. Not only could I not afford it, I was too young to drink it. Thank you very much. But I had to go make some money. And I had to get some money together to buy fabrics and show him the sample. So here's what was really funny about that meeting is I'm sitting there with him. He goes, I love this jacket. I go, great. He says, now here's my question. Where did you get the fabric for this jacket? I'm like, at the fabric store. He says, okay, but what if I order 30 of them? I'm like, yeah, that'll be great. I can, and he goes, well, where are you going to get the fabric? You couldn't go back to the, to the store or? Well, well, that's what I thought. He goes, because that's all just end remnants. You're not going to be able to, fabric stores aren't carrying fresh new fabrics that you're right. buying. I'm like buying at some store in Beverly or something. Right. So if you're a hit, you're in trouble. If I'm a hit, I mean, if I'm not a hit, I'm in trouble. Like I, <laughs> there was like, and so I called that store up. Oh, we have 12 yards left. Well, can we reorder that fabric? Well, no, but we have another one that's like, oh, you can't, there's no, no consistency there. So then it opened this whole can of worms of how would I do a fashion line without being able to, you know, have some consistency and have all this. Anyway, so I started doing shopping and I would take people shopping here and there and I'll, you know, it was kind of crazy, but I slowly built this business and one day I realized, wow, this is what I want to do, not design. And then a few years after that, I did television. So I did the Look for Less and How Do I Look and Style Court and CNN and all this crazy stuff and 200 local TV shows across the country. And then I had a retail store for nine years called Closetry. I know it. Remember, remember that it. store? I remember it. I worked with you there. And yeah. we sold high-end luxury closet accessories there. And that was super fun. And um, Lots now, of lavender. Lots of lavender sachets and cedar. And yes. I mean, we took we took $35,000 hanger orders at that store. It was absolutely wonkers. Wow. Um, but now I'm back to my roots of styling and personal shopping and living my best life. We love that. How did you end up right here today, William? Well, it began, I went, I was a fashion design major at FIT in New York City. Oh, you're, you're like legit. Just for the world to know, he's legit. Go ahead. And my favorite class was draping. Sewing was not. <laughs> what is draping? Draping is, um, you're given a body form, you work with fabric, and you're basically taught how to drape fabric on the form. But what does draping mean, though? Like, is that... That's how the fabric falls. Well, like, yeah. Like, the a swag, let's say a swag of, like, a curtain. Kind of, that's draping. Oh, uh, uh, okay. So you understand how the body works and how it's shaped exactly. to have fabric drape. Okay, good. That was my favorite. My We're favorite. so educational here. That was my favorite, favorite, favorite class. Uh, graduated from FIT. And then I was discovered by Carrie Donovan, who was the fashion director for New York Times Magazine, to actually get in front of the camera and be a model. No, okay, discovered. Nothing I had ever... 
thought about. Were you like at a soda fountain kind of place? Like where well, were you? Funny, where were you discovered? The funny story is um, there were job job boards at FIT of things you could do, like like odd jobs. One of the odd jobs was being either an usher or a dresser at the fashion shows during Fashion Week in New York. Ooh. At the at this particular this particular season, I was a usher at Anne Klein. And, you know, that I would usher people, you know, find out where they were sitting and walk them to their seats. And that's how I met Carrie. And as I was standing there, Carrie comes over to me and she's like, you need to be in front of the camera. And she had her photographer start taking pictures no. of me. Were you? Did you believe her from the get-go or you did not trust her? Well, I knew her face. I knew who she was. So I thought, well, if she says this, then maybe there's something to this. So after I graduated from FIT... A good friend of mine happened to be dating the uh, press director for Kenzo in Europe. Oh, Kenzo, may he rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace. One of the first designers that actually booked me. Wow. But he uh, was, you know, running Paris and he had one of the biggest restaurants in Paris called La Liffon. Ooh, so, so he gave me the opportunity to come to Paris. He had connections at different agencies and he got me an agency. Wow. And I stayed in Paris for three years after that. Wow. And so you were doing the shows and like did. work as a model there? Yeah. <gasps> what shows did you do? Gautier, no. Terry Mugler, Kenzo, Conde, uh, Jean Colonna was the designer. Oh, yeah. Helmut Lang. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it was it was it was an amazing, amazing, amazing time. So I have so many questions about that, but we don't need to ask them all right now. But yeah. oh my gosh, I think that's so really, really cool. And you know, that was back when no, there was no internet and no no phones and no cameras, so there was a lot of things. Well, there were cameras. I mean, how were they? Well, yeah, but there weren't people didn't have cameras like at nightclubs and like oh, you know intimate okay. dinners and like you know things like that. So there's no record of how this glamorous life of yours. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that in Paris and New York for uh, probably about six years. So you modeled in New York as well. Yes, great. Modeled in New York as well. Um, came back to New York and continued modeling in New York, started doing a little more um, commercial work, but to supplement my money, since I was a fashion freak, first and foremost, yes. I went into fashion merchandising. So I started doing windows for Henry Bendel, Bergdorf Ugh. Goodman, Giorgio Armani. Oh my gosh, did you ever do the Christmas windows at Bergdorf's? I did. <gasps> oh my gosh, that documentary, was it Bury My Ashes at Bergdorf's? Is that what it totally, was? Totally, totally. I mean, magic. We'd get to the store at about mm, 6 p.m. was when our day started, and we'd work until about 4 or 5 a.m. Isn't that amazing? So by the time you know the store was ready to open the next day, the, the, the store was completely transformed. Uh, so I did that. Did that? How often was that? Every week or every two weeks? Every week. Every week. Oh every week. Every week. And then when I was at Armani, it was the GA store on Madison. That was once a week, and that was a small window. But the Emporio store that was down on Seventeenth and Fifth, we yeah. had six windows, and you got a average three or four mannequins per window. So that was a lot. But loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Wow, very cool. Did that till about the year 2000, moved out to L.A., moved out to work with Dolce & Gabbana, opened their first flagship store in Rodeo Drive. Wow. And the cool thing about that was 
at the time, Dolce was not at very many stores, outlets, meaning um, showrooms or department stores. So but there and, weren't a lot of places to buy it. There weren't a lot of places to buy it. So and there I, wasn't online shopping or anything. There was no online. So if you really wanted, especially if you wanted uh, Dolce for red carpet, you had to come to us. So at that moment, I got to work with everybody. Angelina Jolie, Jennifer Aniston, Brad Pitt. So fun. Janet Jackson, Cher, everybody. Everybody that wanted to wear Dolce had to come to us, which was amazing, amazing, amazing. Did that for about four years. And then I went over to... Bottega Veneta as they're ready to wear specialists. That was the first season, because as everyone knows, or they don't, Bottega was just luxury handbags. And, and Bottega Veneta is the woven leather bag. So for people that don't even know what Bottega Veneta is, it is an old school Italian brand that's known for this hand woven leather handbag. Which is called Intrecciato. Intrecciato. That's, that's the weave. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Intrecciato. Intrecciato, yes. Intrecciato. And then you, so you were there when the ready to wear start. I remember With when the that beginning. happened. Yeah. Yeah. So I was there to kind of educate the, the sales staff of the direction of the the collection and the influences and how it pertained to the LA client and actually helped with the Los Angeles buy. Wow, nice. While there, I was, uh, I guess, discovered or asked to work with Benny Medina, who thought, who really admired my um, eye as far as shopping. And, and who's Benny Medina? Benny Medina is uh, the manager of Jennifer Lopez. Ah, okay, Benny. So he... Not Benny from the block. <laughs> Jen Jen from the block. You can't see it, but he literally just rolled his eyes at me, just so you all know. Side eye. <laughs> so he actually kind of championed me going into personal shopping and styling for private clients. So then I've been doing that ever since. Wow, awesome. And yeah. then here we are today. And here we are. So very... And I had the pleasure while at Dolce, which is where I met Mark Allen. Yeah, was it, was it there or it was, was it Bottega? No, it was at Dolce. It was at Dolce. It feels... Yeah. I mean, I, we're both only 22, so I don't even know how this is all possible, but we both have such a very different background, yet at the same time, it's same a very biz. similar background. Yeah. So uh, very... Uh, excited to be doing this with you and sharing our brains. Ditto. Okay, now it's it's Europe, William. You have an amazing. We're calling it vocab, right? Vocab. So it's not vocab. It's a play on vocabulary. But it's vocabulary, darling. Vocabulary. <laughs> so what's our vocabulary word for this week? Well, the word. It's a word that I hear very often that is, um, I don't want to say bastardized. But it's, 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 <gasps> bastardized. I mean, you, you, you can, we you, are serious fashionistas you, here. You could beep that out. But <laughs> it's the word couture. Oh. Oat couture. Like juicy couture, right? Not really. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, oat couture, actually. Oat <laughs> couture. Comes from the chambre syndical de haute couture. Which is a house, uh, I guess the best way to describe it is, I guess in layman's terms is, if you want to call yourself a doctor, you have to actually have a medical degree. Okay. So the syndical would give you license. So the syndical is like an institution. It's an institution okay. that has to approve you of even being, calling yourself a couture house. 
Ah, uh, okay. So there's an institution in France yes. that you have to go and get certified, basically, whatever basically. to be, call yourself couture, and they look to make sure that you have the handwork. Exactly, and you have to produce. I mean, back in the day, you had to produce twice a year, every season. I believe about sixty looks per season. Sixty. Yes. That's a lot of looks. That's a lot of looks. Then. And then a lot of people don't realize uh, when they say couture, couture involves several fittings and normally it's it, it's something that's the measurements of one's bodies and it's done with muslin muslin is kind of a very inexpensive i guess uh gauze or cotton yeah it's like that tan like if you go to whole foods or whatever and you get like a tan shopping bag exactly it's it's it's, it's, it's thinner than that it's but basically it looks like that. testing the shape and the fit before they actually Cut a super expensive fabric. Piece of fabric. Okay, good. So your first fitting will be like a muslin fitting. A muslin fitting. And then it's several fittings to make sure it's perfect. Because they want to make sure everything's perfect before, again, they cut this fabric. Do you know that when I started in this business, I thought it was muslin? And no. someone was finally like, no, dummy, it's not muslin. It's muslin. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> muslin with an N, <laughs> not an M. So yeah, a lot of people don't, and I think I think. Uh, the, so is it possible for an American company to be a couture house then? No, technically no. So there's no American couture. There were there were American designers that were considered couturiers, like uh, I believe Oscar De Laurenti was the first American designer to be considered part of the. I would imagine him, and I'd imagine Jeffrey Bean back in the day. His Jeffrey Bean's approach to his collections were most definitely couture like, yeah, but they weren't really couture in the like super technical meaning of the word, but pretty close, especially Jeffrey Bean. Yeah, I mean, his I mean, I had a client, she had this closet of six Jeffrey Bean couture evening gowns. Now, that that you have to understand to say that that's like having. Six Picassos, like that's amazing. That's that's next as a collector. That's next level. I don't know where they are. I should find those. Yeah, the, lot yeah. of money. Yeah, <laughs> lots of money. Yeah, you know, I think so. If you need some cash, if you need some cash, there are some things that are worth selling, like like particular couture like that. Yeah. So then the most okay. So it's mostly it has to basically be so like an Italian company or Italian company's couture yeah. as well. Yeah, like Valentino. And does Valentino get their certification yeah. from a French company? Yeah. So the how which the is French why get lot, the mono- why don't the Italians and the Americans just make up their own couture society or institution? Well, which is why a lot of a lot of Italian designers that became part of I guess the couture club wound up starting to show in in Paris. That so yeah. completes something for me to understand that. So yeah. that's why, like, Valentina, I think, shows in Paris now, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And though they show in Paris because they're that's, the couture institution. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. And then... And I think what kind of, not, I don't want to say watered down, but what made couture a more commonly used word, in, let's say, in America, is to make, I guess, the American customer feel more elevated. Because, like, when you say, like you were saying, couture at Neiman Marcus, that was Neiman Marcus's way of making their or helping their customer believe that they were part of that world. When technically the gowns that they had in Neiman, they had a a size run. And there's no way of having a size run of couture because the couture piece is specifically for your body and nobody else. Wow. So, like, Chanel will show a couture show. Right. 
And their couture show is separate from their ready-to-wear show, right? Oh, yeah. And their couture and show... And their prices. And the pri- they're like... Few, I mean, they're $100, you could spend... In couture, you could spend about a quarter of a million dollars on a jacket. Wow. Yeah. That is crazy. And is that yeah. because of the time you get with the designer themselves? Or the time that- with the designer and it's the, the time to create it. That's... It's, it's 40, 50, 60 hours of work. It's not just, you know... It's a lot of work. And what's the difference between couture and made-to-measure? Like, you know, you hear about made-to-measure events all the time or custom suits and all of that. What's the difference between couture and made-to-measure? I think, uh, don't quote me, but I think the difference is... What do you mean don't is, quote you? You're talking into a podcast well, where you're I being think, quoted. Well, no, no, well, I think the difference with made-to-measure is there's, there's unlimited... Normally, there's an unlimited amount of the fabrics that they're using. They're able to go through a fabric book and show that same fabric book to people all over the world. Whereas uh. with couture, you normally, back in the day, you, you as a customer would fly to, let's say, uh, Christian Lacroix's salon and have fittings, and then they would source the fabrics. And, th- and another thing about that is you could select fabrics that are very, very rare, and normally, like I said, there's not a lot of it. Wow. Which is cool when you're going to, you know, if you're a woman on the social circuit going to tons of parties, you could confidently walk into a party and know nobody else in this room is going to have this dress on. Wow. Okay. And then couture would also be like luxury in the big brands, but there's also a lot of amazing dressmakers and such out there. Oh, that for could sure. Make you something or have oh, custom sure. work done. Because I know like when doing work with that, um, I always said Zach Efron. <laughs> <laughs> I'll work with you anytime, Zach Efron. Freudian slip. Yeah, but when working with Zach Posen, that really they customized everything for the Emmys that I did, mm-hmm. and you know she was able to have the cut be what she loved, and we really custom make something, mm-hmm. and it really felt like to me like a couturier. It just felt like that is actually the closest to the actual term. Yeah, for sure. Right, and so it's like a, it's like. Just specially made, and so, and also, I th- when I think of couture, I think it really has a lot to do with the fabrics. Oh yeah, like the luxurious, right. beautiful. Because right. I was at the Chanel shop once in Paris, and in just a room. So this was not even the couture room. Mm-hmm. They had hanging there a hundred and twenty thousand euro jacket. Yeah, and I was just like, what? A hundred twenty thousand euros is. Back then, it was like a hundred and sixty thousand dollars. And you also have to remember that people in. Like, when you see beading uh, and ready-to-wear, that's usually beading that's on a roll. There's a bolt of the beading that you're looking like at. Like a bolt of... Like the fabric the is... The fabric itself is fabric. beaded. Right. Whereas in couture, there are women hand-placing each, each bead. bead. Wow. So if it's very, very ornate or intricate, it, that's what... And what's the difference between ready-to-wear and couture, then? I mean, I get there's a big price difference, but for me, well, I, think I mean, co- is, is the easiest way to say it is ready to wear. There's a size run. You can get zero to and, sixteen. And a size run means that you go to a store and there's like a size zero to a size fourteen. Right. Let's get real. And they're not even doing fourteens; they're doing like twelves. Right. Right. And then some brands are going like more like two to eighteen. Exactly. On what they're doing. But couture, they might have one sample. You look at it, and then they get your measurements, and again, create. The whole look in muslin, and then so it's wow. a it's a it's a longer process. So even like at Bergdorf's in New York, right, which I consider to be the epitome of style and retail in the United States, you Absolutely. can't go and buy a couture there. No. Mm-mm. 
Wow. That's so fascinating. But I will say that's the closest places like Bergdorf's and Neiman's is the closest you can get to. Oh my God. That juicy couture thing must have driven you crazy. That pissed me off. (laughs) And then you have all these, no offense, random people saying they're wearing couture. And it's like, no, you're not. Please stop saying that. But I mean, what about at the Emmys or the Oscars where people go, I'm in Dior couture? Do you think it actually is couture? Well, yeah, because a lot of their designers, I mean, a lot of their stylists went to the couture shows. Right, but like, let's say Scarlett Johansson wears Dior Couture. Dior couture. Right. So Christian Dior Couture to the Oscars, okay? Right. And then let's say that, um, I don't know why he's in Mira Sorvino. Is she even alive still? Where's that girl? But don't like, know her. Like, uh, but then let's say Helen Mirren right. shows up and mm-hmm. she's wearing Zach Posen. Mm-hmm. Custom, you call it, but you couldn't. Call I will it, say, I you will can't s- call it couture though because it doesn't have the certification then from Paris, right? That's true, but I think they've kind of, you know, in, in the modern days, they've kind of been more lenient in the term couture. But I have to say, someone like Zach Posen can say he's a couturier because, again, most of those gowns that he did for people for red carpet, they were the only dress. Yeah, I mean, it really felt like couture, and I actually think that Zach called it couture. But it, and rightfully so. But it's interesting, though, the way that I think bastardize is actually a great word. How people just take away that word and they just try and it's like couture. They're trying to say it's luxurious, it's that, and it's not that. Just because it's expensive doesn't mean it's couture. Nope. Is that what you're saying? Something like that. Okay, good. You know. All right, so now we're going to talk our next, speaking of Holt couture, we're going to now talk about Holt looks. Yes. Holt, Holt, Holt looks. So I, um, the Emmys were crazy, right, this year? And so I went through and just looked a little bit. And, you know, Schitt's Creek killed it at the Emmys. and Right? And Catherine O'Hara was there. So what they did is they had their own private party just for the main stars and executive producers or whatever. And they had a little tent and they were up in Canada. And they were socially distanced and they had masks on. But they all got dressed up. And Catherine O'Hara is my hot look for the week. And I just, she was wearing this crazy beaded long sleeve black. And how old is she, do you think? Uh, I remember from her SCTV days. So she's got to be. 60, right? At least. Okay. And so what she had. But still brilliant. Brilliant. She had her. Well, there's a lot of people that are 60 because they're brilliant. Um, you make it that far, you okay. are. Okay, I mean, there's something. But anyway, she had like this, and it, it, it was a mock neck, so the beading came up to the neck, and then went all the way down the sleeve, so it's a full beaded sleeve. And then right over the bust came into a solid black fabric, mm-hmm. and then came down with this really fun, so it's all solid black, fully covered, and she put it with black combat boots. Love it. And I just thought there was something... Not everybody could wear that, but it just felt like it was her. It right. was like her expressing herself, being her look, and the fabrics on that looked gorgeous. But then she funked it up a lot yeah. with the combat boots. I just thought it was just really a, a beautiful way to. Yeah, I mean, whoever does that wardrobe is it's pretty brilliant because it, it it speaks to her character. Yeah, which is kind of a how do I say schizophrenic chic. <laughs> She's absolutely schizophrenic chic. And I feel like... And she's a perfect example if you own something, if own it when you're wearing it. Yeah. Everyone else is going to believe it. It will absolutely work. If you... It could be crazy, but if you're like, this is what I'm wearing, I'm cute. 
if you believe no in yourself, with with, you. if you believe in yourself with it, it's totally going to work. I, I believe, and I also think that that it felt like that look was very much on cue with what her character was. One hundred percent. So it makes that. you wonder, like. I wonder if it's the same person. I mean, is right. she that person or right. what? But I, I thought it was a brilliant end for yeah. her Agreed. red carpet career around that show. Agreed. I'm sure she has much more to come, but that was my hope look for last week. Agreed. Agreed. My hope look was, because I've been like um, feverishly looking at all of the spring 2021 collections and seeing how uh, designers are figuring out how to show the collections during this pandemic that we're in. So I actually loved um, Ricardo Tishi, who's the art director now at Burberry. Mm. I loved his approach to his collection and what his influence was, the a, a pseudo love affair between sharks and mermaids. Sharks and mermaids sharks in Burberry and, plaid? Yes. Okay. And what spawned this was... He went to stay with his mother at the beginning of the pandemic. So it was just him and his mother and his family home. Wow. Where is that family? In Italy? I believe so. Yeah, I don't know. I have to do research on that. But yeah, for sure. And um, so he kind of went into the archives of his childhood sketches and he was obsessed with sharks and mermaids when he was a kid. Like me, I I grew up obsessed with mermaids. But, um, side note. Super big shocker, by the way. Right, 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 right. So I, the, don't even, I don't even think I believe you. <laughs> so the cool thing was, after knowing that, to see how he worked his prints. All of his prints were, like, scales of fishes, um, uh, uh, fishnets. Um, he did, like, what he did, what his print was, his sketches as a little kid. So imagine the sketches you would do of whatever you were obsessed with, like, on random pieces of paper, or maybe if your parents allowed you the things you drew on the walls. Those were the prints, like the linings of the trench coats and the bomber wow. jackets. Yeah. It's such an inspiring... Now, how did you find out all that backstory about it? Did he write about that, or...? Well, there was an interview with him, and he was saying... Um, being home and being isolated with his mother at the beginning of the pandemic kind of took him back to his childhood and what his Im- imagination was. And he was saying how easy it is to tap into that kind of childish um, uh, imagination when you don't have all the distractions. You're not running the work. You're not re- worrying about Bill. You're not like the world is not happening, really. Yeah. So he had that time to kind of be a child, which was kind of brilliant that he could bring that to the Burberry name. And, you know, I love the way he deconstructed, the, you know, the famous plaids and the trench coats. He'd yeah. take the sleeves off or he would do bomber jackets that were the degradé color change of, like, the ocean. And, like, it's a really, really an inspirational and beautiful, a beautiful collection. So that was my, that was my hope. Oh, wow. I really feel like I want to look at that collection. You have to. Say to. That. And the way they opened the show, which was kind of brilliant, was... To see, it opened with a model inside of a very tiny mirrored box. So it, I guess it was the metaphor was to see how constricted and caged in we can be, or oh, yeah. as far as it's like the pandemic, right? It, exactly. And then once it was interesting because she wasn't dressed and she got dressed in this little mirrored box, and once she was fully dressed in the first look. She opened the door to the said mirrored show um, fitting room, and it was a huge wild forest. Wow! So the whole collection was like, I guess, being 
breaking free, I guess, was the metaphor. And it, they just walked through this huge, huge, huge forest. And where do you find your fashion shows when you watch them? Um, on YouTube Vo- or... Vogue.com. Or the different, the different, um, the different uh, designers' websites. Oh, okay. So like the Burberry website. What but you know, I normally will look at Vogue.com just to see the rundown of who's showing and what day. And, and blah, you have to blah, pay blah. for that? Oh, no. Oh, mm-hmm. no. It's all free. You just watch it all? Uh-huh. I love that. Yeah, so. I need to do that. I, I'm so lazy with that stuff. I get all these notices. Our show will be live in 10 minutes. I'm like, I am not doing it. I'm going to go get coffee. I got other things to do. I'm so not that current person. But it's good. That, I mean, I'm a nerd for it, but it is you good. You are totally a nerd for that. Totally you post nerd. out your Instagram all the time. You're like, oh my God, I'm living for this. I'm living for this. I'm yeah. living for this. And I'm literally at Nordstrom looking for sandals for somebody. No, I'm I'm a nerd about it. Like, I, I could have a glass of wine and just... Sit and watch shows for hours and be the happiest as a clam, so. The happiest as a clam or as happy as a clam? As happy. Okay. They're not the happiest clam? Mm, Well, (laughs) not always. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so now we're getting to a couple questions that we've had from our enormous group of listeners. (laughs) Huge. Huge. So do you want me to read the first one? This one's from Carol. Yes. Okay. I'm the mother of a groom. We've got a small COVID wedding outside in November in South Florida. The invite says cocktail, and the bride, um, her mother, is Indian. So she will be wearing a sari. Help! So she's not sure what to wear, because, like, the mother of the bride is going to be in a lot of color, and she's a pretty conservative, simple person, so she just doesn't know what to wear. So my my take on it was, right. for sure, a dress. She could maybe do a widely printed pant, depends on her body type, but it really just needs to be a dress, sedate, a soft color, lace would even be okay. So but super simple that way, but then bring it out with um, shoes, bag, and a wrap. Like, maybe like a Cuccinelli iridescent beaded cashmere wrap over it. Then, like, a silver shoe and a bag that's really kicking. So that she can still have that mother of the groom simple, not draw attention from the bride. Mm-hmm. But still have some of her own flair in there, too. Because she sounds to me like she really wants to go for it. But I don't know. What, do you, what are your thoughts? I think, um, I think personally, because, you know, you know, a union, uh, a bride and the groom is a marriage of Two different worlds. Yeah. So I don't really mind. I mean, we're assuming this woman's white too, by the way. Right. So she's she's the mother of the groom, you're saying, right? Yeah. See, I would think she should kind of stay true to who she is. Do and, you think? Yeah. I mean, if she feels if she feels inclined to be influenced by India, why not? May do her version of what it is, but I don't think she's. I don't think she has to do anything like that because I think it's an. It might be a. It would be a cool contrast to see the two worlds side by side. So she should just really not. What you're saying is, don't worry at all about what the mother of the bride's wearing. Yeah. Right. And do you think she should confer with the bride though about what the bride wants her in? Is she in the wedding party? She's the mother of the groom. So she's going to be in all the photos. Oh, uh, well, yeah, yeah. The bride gets a, the bride yeah, yeah. Gets a pat, approval, That's right? true. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I was like, hey, what do you think? And I would, <laughs> think, I would think sometimes the bride would be like, here's the color story. Here's the color scheme. Yeah. 
And then see what and they... They, and see, and let her, it also depends on the bride, because some brides are going to be really good about saying exactly what they want. Some brides are going to be like, oh, yeah, whatever you want. And then they're going to tell the fiancé, oh, my gosh, your mom's dress is so ugly. So that's the hard part about that, because right. not all daughters-in-law-to-be are prepared to be fully honest and say what they want or what they need or... Right. Right? They should, but they yes. should, I mean, should. Yeah. Shoulda, woulda, coulda, prada. Right. Okay? No. They don't Not do that. So, but, okay, so if they're going to do their own style, I mean, if it, the invite says cocktail, mm-hmm. for me, that doesn't always mean it has to be blingy. Cocktail can be a simple dress, but you have some bling somewhere else. Maybe it's just a big diamond. What do you think? That's true, too, but when you say bling and cocktail and there's a there's a mention of the indian culture the indian culture are the masters of colors and 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 embroidery and uh, you know elaborate moments so no black she cannot wear black she cannot wear navy you cannot wear aubergine you cannot wear any of those dark serious colors it's gonna be a soft color Something that you feel beautiful in and great in. And don't be afraid to have some sparkle and some print even. No, because right? like I said, the Indian culture is all about saturated, vibrant colors. So you do have to have some sort of meeting of the mind because you don't, you don't want to have half the wedding party like a kaleidoscope. And then the other side, kind of very muted, conservative, conservative and quiet. Yes. Well, so I guess basically our advice to you would be... Meet in the middle. Meet in the middle. Be yourself. Communicate. Get what you love. Communicate. And because it could go very wrong if you don't. I mean, and, and, it, <laughs> and it might still go wrong if you do. You never know. <laughs> but you've done your part. What are the statistics on divorce in this country? <laughs> well, and all these people marrying someone of the opposite sex. I just find it repulsive. <laughs> you better. Oh, you better commit to it. Either, <laughs> either way, once you say yes, that's it. <laughs> All right, what's our second one? We have another letter or note or uh, this is an email, I guess. It's another note. My husband is a prominent lawyer. Oh. Uh, we're going to a holiday party where the entire firm will be there. They're older lawyers. But me being a, a younger wife of the head lawyer, what sh- should I wear to... The holiday dinner, holiday party. Well, I had a, I had an answer immediately for this when I read this. Mm. You ready? A great fitted Dolce dress. Just a super fitted, sassy, sexy Dolce dress that's got some coverage. And then a little short jacket over the shoulder. Mm-hmm. And a big diamond. Mm-hmm. I really just thought that that would be... And Only that, your young, sexy self. Right. And not being too flat. So stay away from like Versace or any crazy. Oh, right. Right, right, right. And none right, of that. Right. Like Bottega Veneta, ridiculous, asymmetrical, mm-hmm. I mean, modern. You just don't. You know, I always say for parties especially, the key word that I like to use is approachable. Yeah. You mm-hmm. want to be really, you want to wear something that you just look approachable at. Mm-hmm. Like I saw pictures of you at a wedding in Las Vegas and you were like in caftan. I mean, you were, you were. Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you got to give them what they came for. I mean, they definitely came to see William in a caftan. And I was like, why am I not at this wedding? I'm a great plus one. What's wrong with you, William? And you were just rocking this caftan. There was like a neon art gal. I'm just like, he is living his best life out there. So I think that that's kind of what I saw. Because the, the reason I mentioned that is when I looked at that picture, I'm like, oh my gosh, everyone's going to come up and talk to you. And you're going to be really approachable and really great. Yeah. So I think that's Conversation. the key. For a party like that, is to be super approachable. For sure. But what were your thoughts on? Um, uh, agreed. Um, 
you being the wife of an, a, a younger being, I don't want you to lose sight of who you are to appease an audience. Yeah. But agreed with you, do something like a sexy Dolce dress. Something that's covered up, but sexy. Yeah. And it's all about fit and structure. Yeah, and that's designer. Do not go Ted Baker. You've got to No, it has to be... You have to good, be fitted by the inch of your life. Yeah, and it's a good classic. You should have a good... This is when you buy a good classic that you're going to wear for 10 years and you yeah. debut it at this holiday party. And you could even do... You could even do... That's even a moment to do an, like an androgynous look. I wouldn't be mad at a... Tom Ford or an androgynous like what do you mean? Well, meaning like a peak lapel, banks banker striped, satin almost tuxedo. You think? Yeah. No, I totally disagree with you because Why? That, because the husband's gonna want to show off his hot wife. But the, the hotness partners. is in the fit of the suit. Like if you wear a corset under a tuxedo yeah. and a great pair of earrings. I don't know. I think I think that it's also if it's a big firm, there's gonna be traditional lights there. You know, mm-hmm. traditional lights, they like a woman in a dress. Which is why you wanna kinda uh, throw a wrench in the in the motor and wear a suit, a pantsuit. Kind of Marlena Dietrich. Yeah, and I guess it depends on what your husband's like too. Like if your husband likes you in a suit, because you also it sounds like this might be your first holiday party with this firm mm-hmm. so it sounds to me you want to make sure your husband's really comfortable too so you might even of confer course. with him of and be course. like and he might if all the wives are in you know really sassy great dresses and you show up and you're in a you know madonna gautier 1991 but hey but then you're the star of the show <laughs> and that might make him happy are you or are you confused and miss the memo because everyone else is in dresses well if he approves it then I guess if he approves the it. The hell with everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us for our first episode of What You Wearing. And who you doing? And who who are you doing? How you? That doing? depends on what you're wearing, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Mark Allen. I'm William Clark Jr. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.